We're going to be going to the book of Matthew as our ushers continue collecting the offering this morning. And before we do, I just want to remind you where we've been and where we're going. We've been celebrating that we are all called to be disciples and that when we join this church, and if you haven't joined this church, one thing we will ask of you is to commit with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And I think sometimes as Christians, it's almost like we have to um, apologize for the things we've promised to do or apologize for even talking about them as if like, oh, we don't talk about prayer very much because we're not sure about how to pray or we know that there are people that are better at praying than we are. Sometimes we're afraid to talk about our presence because we feel guilty that we're not there as much as we should be or we always know we could do better. We're afraid to talk about gifts because maybe we are not giving as generously as we feel that we should or maybe we just hate it when people talk about money. And to me, gifts is so much more than just how much money do you give? And we're gonna talk about that this morning, about what does it mean to experience the grace of generosity? Next week, we're gonna be thinking about what does it mean to serve one another? When you're a member of a church, you promise to be able to help each other out. And then finally, what does it mean to be a witness of Christ in the world? I love this series, and I think the discipleship component that has gone along with it is fantastic. If you are just now being with us, if you haven't followed along with the Disciples Path workbook, I encourage you to grab one because they're really good. And I don't say that about all curriculum, I'll be honest. This one is really good. Um, So I encourage you to consider that. So now we're gonna jump in to the book of Matthew this morning. We are gonna be in chapter six, verses 19 through 27. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust, I have a little bit of a lisp actually, and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. It therefore, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No, God, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. I've actually never read the King James Version um, in a sermon before. That's the first time for me. Um, And we are gonna be talking about why we use that translation this morning because it is not our typical translation that we use on Sunday mornings. But I hope you... 
paid attention and, and noticed that there were some few words that were a little bit different than maybe when you've heard that story out of the NIV or the NRSV. But with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I brought paper up here with me just in case my iPad dies because I forgot to charge it this weekend. So if I get lost halfway through, that's what's up, all right? So there was a church um, in Minneapolis, a Lutheran church, where the pastor there, um, she and her folks, were, were when she was first brought there, are everything you'd expect Lutherans in Minneapolis to be. They were easygoing, laid back, pale, profoundly Eastern European, and down to earth in all the ways you could imagine. But in the last few years, the neighborhood around her church has changed significantly. It went from empty pews to pews filled with immigrants from the country of Liberia. This means their worship um, also is a little bit different than it used to be. They still sing the hymns, they still pray the prayers, although the songs might last a little longer now. But the pastor said the biggest change to her church is how they do the offering. Because in Liberia and Liberian ushers, they will not simply just pass the baskets back and forth down the aisles like we do. You know, they, they dance when they do it. When they bring the plates forward, it takes them a long time to get there because they're shuffling their feet and they're singing songs and they're just so excited to bring their offerings to God. She said the offering is now the most joyful part, the most praise-filled moment in the entire worship service. Every Sunday is a revelation that makes them want to clap and dance and sing because they realize they have something they can give to God. A people who for so long felt like they had nothing they always remember that no matter where they are, no matter what's going on, they still have something they can offer to God. Um, we know instinctively that generosity is powerful. Um, we know that the generous experiences we have received can transform our lives. It's attractive and it's appealing in a person to see someone who is generous. I've never been around a generous person and thought, that guy's a real jerk. She really is just doing this. You know, she, she, her generosity is so fake. I don't know. You can kind of tell, right? You, I've not met a lot of folks who say like Ebenezer Scrooge is their role model in life. When you see someone who, who gives, you can see just a, a different spirit about them. You know, the, this month is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I see appeals to give all over. And I've never thought to myself, I just don't care about cancer. I don't care about helping in this. I've never had that thought. But I also don't find myself giving at each opportunity that is offered to me. And I think many of us might be like that, right? I don't think given the chance, we don't say, we don't say I just don't care about that. I think what we really say is, I would love to help, but, right? I'd love to help, but I don't have enough to spare. I would love to help, but I'm not sure how you'll use my money and if it'll be used the way I want it to be. I'm not sure if my generosity will make any difference. Generosity is powerful, but it seems uncertain. When you can't control that thing which you have given, it's almost like, well, I would like to actually put more trust in the things that I can control. 
It's why so many of us put most of our trust in our own possessions. Why we spend so much time obsessing about the things that we have and how they can bring us comfort. Our possessions, especially our money, they are powerful. They are so powerful that they can possess us. I think one of the greatest tricks evil has ever pulled on us is to convince us that to be possessed looks like some sort of scene out of The Exorcist. I don't watch scary movies. I don't know what's happening. I thought we fixed this, I'm sorry. This is my fault. I don't watch scary movies, I just don't. So Halloween, everybody's like, oh yeah, the movies are the best during October. I'm like, no they're not, don't even turn the TV on. But I know that in some of those movies, exorcisms are of these people that are possessed and they're all shaken and they're pale and then like this demon comes from their body. But the ancient Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews and the Jews, they knew better than this. In the ancient Jewish understanding of things, the world was full of powers and those powers were at work in every person. You could literally be possessed by these powers and it did not have to be a metaphysical or some sort of tangible, it could have been this understanding, this recognition that there are things in this world which you might not be able to see with your eyes but they can possess you in your own soul. That is why we read the version of the Bible we did this morning Most translations say a person cannot serve God and wealth or even God and money. But the King James we read today leaves a funny word in there. And in the oldest versions, it actually capitalizes it. The word is mammon. See, I don't often read from the King James. We um, as Methodists tend to gravitate towards the NRSV. But I think when you put translations side by side, you can see what the interpreters and what the translators are trying to accomplish. And one of the things that the King James Version really understood about the Jewish writers and about the fact that Jesus was a Jew who thought like a Jew, he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is not an English word. You can't just say God and money. Mammon is this personification of money as power. Mammon is a spiritual force at work in the world. It's, it's like today when you turn on the news and you hear people talking about the market and how the market decides our fate and the market will predict how healthy and well off our country is and how things will go. You can't see the market, even less so now because it's all digital, right? I don't understand any of it, but I just know that's on computers. And, but this whole idea that the market is moving and it's good and it's bad, it's, it's like this power that you cannot experience. Mammon is like that. It is this thing that can control our lives, that can claim our lives. It's like, for example, when you spend all of your time thinking about if you could just have a little bit more money, you'd be happy because you could buy this. That is the power of mammon at work in your life. For me, at one point, it was golf clubs. I thought if I could just get me a new set of golf clubs, I'd be better at golf, I'd be a better preacher because preachers are supposed to be good at golf and then more people would come to church and they say all these things. It would just trickled on and on and on, right? That was silly because one, I'm never gonna be good at golf. And, and two, if people are coming to church because of my golf game, we got something more serious to talk about. Let's be honest. After that, I was into triathlons and I thought if I could just get a faster bicycle, if I get a faster bicycle, I'm gonna win these triathlons. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be able to win these Ironmans and, and I would never won a race in my life. But I had this convinced, you know, I just, and so I would spend my time on the Facebook marketplace or the, the groups that, and I said, oh, I, I could, you know, 
$2,200, you know, I could do that, right? And Brianna's like, why would you spend $2,200? You're not gonna be able to get any faster. <laughs> she's so honest. She, today's her birthday. She's not here this morning. She's on the way back from Montgomery, but she keeps me honest. I appreciate that. But mammon in our life, it can consume us, right? When you spend all this time thinking about how your life will be better, if you just had a little bit more money, that is mammon. That is this power. That is this force at work in your life that consumes you, that possesses and that is why from the very beginning of Christianity, from the very beginning of Methodism, we have made a, not that they were the same time, but we as Methodists, one of the things we talk about, why this is part of our discipleship series, is that making a habit of generosity is the greatest power that combats the power of mammon in our life. This is probably most well known as when we talk about the tithe, right? Many of you have heard about the tithe. The tithe is not a Christian practice, actually. The tithe is an ancient Hebrew practice. It's an ancient English word for 10th, but it's a Hebrew practice that started in Genesis. If we talk about what the Christians were called to do the New Testament, Acts 2, it says all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had need. Our goal as Christians is to never say, I've done my part. What's the base minimum I can do to have met the requirements? Our goal is to grow in the image of God. Our goal is to always find new ways that the habits and things that we can experience in life will draw us into the grace of God. Grace is the power of God that is greater than anything else in this world. There's no power on heaven or earth. There's no power of hell below our ancient tradition would say, that can overcome the love and grace of God. Whatever is at work in our lives, whatever we are experiencing and going through, grace overcomes all. And so the ancient Hebrews, though they talked about the, the tithe as the first part of the crop, and they would take this first piece of their agricultural gains and they would give it to the church and for every 10 they would give another one. That's where we get this idea of trying to give a 10th. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the legalese of it all. I have to give exactly 10%. Do I give 10% based on my net or my gross? I don't even understand what those words mean. For me, it's more about what habits are you doing in your generosity and your giving that are allowing you to experience the grace of God. And so the tithe can actually be a helpful marker. It could be something to shoot towards. If you're giving 10%, if you've never given anything, you might say, I'm just gonna move a decimal point. I'm gonna try that this month and see what that's like for me and my family. Or maybe that's not where you are. When Brianna and I first started out our marriage, we were not giving close to 10%. Now we are, and we give thanks to God for that, that we're able to do so. And it has helped us reorient the rest of our spending but I do not want you to get caught up into the, all right, I made this commitment to the church. I gotta pray, I gotta be president, I gotta give. And so, and then I gotta get into the technicality of making sure I'm giving exactly the decimal point and the dollar amount. Christians are never called to say, I did my part. I've done just enough. I hope that we keep asking our entire lives, keep asking the question of ourselves and of God, what am I doing? What am I offering of myself? that is drawing me closer to the grace of God than I was before. Because maybe one day you get to 10% and you're like, you know what? 
I know there's more grace to experience and you're going above and beyond. I don't know what that means for you and your family or what it looks like, but I do know that generosity is one of the things in our own lives that we can offer, that we can do, that we can practice, that helps us encounter the grace of God to overcome the powers of this world. You know, I, I don't think that Dave Ramsey is a Methodist. I'm pretty sure he's not, but he teaches this class that maybe many of you have taken called Financial Peace. And though he's not a Methodist, I feel like he should be because he, he gets it. He gets the way we kind of talk about things, right? He would say, um, you know, your giving should be the first thing on your worksheet each month. It should be a habit. But the reason why he says it, and the thing I love, is that it's not necessarily that it matters so much to the place you're giving. I mean, it does, but even more than that, when you give, it puts into perspective that you are a part of something bigger than yourself. We as humans tend to idolize ourselves. What's most important for me? What can I get out of it? How do I control my gift? But whenever you give, and you give out of generosity, not out of control, it reminds you that there's more to this world than you, and that God is bigger. Giving puts everything else into perspective. The practice of giving is practical grace. It's a practical way to give grace and to experience the grace. It is the habit that helps us encounter this power of God that overcomes the world. And so I'm not here to tell you, you know what, you need to give because whatever reasons as far as, you know, the light bills or the, the things we do. You can look and see, this is a great church. Amen. We do lots of things. Those things are evident. Today, I, I, I'm talking about what it means to be a disciple. What does it mean for you to experience grace through generosity? And I want to give you an example of how you've already done this. And you didn't even know it. Brianna and I got married in 2013. I didn't have a full-time job. She didn't have a full-time job. But we just loved each other. <laughs> and they say love conquers all, and it does, but it doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> but I was not going to wait to start this, my life with this person I love just because we didn't have everything figured out yet. And sure, that was naive and maybe a little foolish, but I didn't care, and I don't regret it a bit. But here's how I experienced the grace of God through your generosity. There are two scholarships. Uh, my, I had a part-time job where I made $11,000 a year. Brianna was in nursing school, making no $1,000 a year. <laughs> but there's a scholarship called the Carl Stegall Seminary Foundation that is in Montgomery. And he gives, and his foundation gives money to seminary students who are pursuing God's call in their life. And there's another scholarship foundation. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's called the Dauphin Way Scholarship Foundation. Before I even knew you, before there was a chance for me to even be your pastor, years before we would ever connect, your generosity as a church allowed Brianna and I to pay our rent, to have groceries, to have gas, to get back and forth to Atlanta for school twice a week. Your generosity transformed my life and you didn't even know it. I experienced God's grace through you. I didn't have to worry about mammon I don't have to worry about where the next bill was coming, or check was coming from, because God's grace is bigger than that. I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not here to tell you that if you give, you're gonna get rich. I will never be that. But I do think if you give, you will be transformed. Amen. If you give, you will experience grace because as Gene said earlier, I've never given and then been like, man, I really wish I hadn't have done that. 
And so may we be a people who experience God's transformational grace through the practice of generosity. I mean, we've already promised we're gonna do it. When you joined this church, you made this vow that said, I will offer my prayers, my presence, and my gifts, my service, and my witness. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks. And so are you doing that? Are you being faithful to the promise you made? And if you haven't made that promise yet, will you be faithful to it? And in being faithful to it, will you ask every year, what does this look like for me and my family? How can we transform others through the grace of God, through our generosity, as God has transformed us through his grace? Because there's no power that can overcome the power of grace. And so maybe one day we'll be the people who when that offering comes down, will be dancing as the baskets go by Maybe we'll start bringing it down forward and we'll have a dance off all the way down the aisles. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.